Hello and welcome to Unmasked, a podcast where we challenge widely held assumptions around gender, sexuality and other identities. This podcast unmasks and explores these identities that can sometimes prevent us from fully expressing ourselves. Each week, we take a theme and invite an extra special guest for discussion, deliberation and all other things D-related. I am Charlie Robertson. I hope you enjoy. And welcome back to Unmasked. Today we rejoin our conversation with David and we focus on his recent project, Conversations with Gay Elders. This is a series of six documentaries of varying length, focusing on older gay men in in their 70s or above. David describes this as an emotionally reflective and historically informative um, piece of work, capturing histories of men whose gay lives long preceded Stonewall and are also survivors of the AIDS era. For those that don't know, the Stonewall Riots were a series of spontaneous, violent demonstrations by members of the LGBT community against a police raid that began in the early morning hours of June 28, 1969, at the Stonewall Inn in Greenwich Village, Manhattan. For each episode of the Gay Elders Project, profiling a different gay elder, David got a younger gay man to edit each episode, two of whom were in their 20s and three in their 30s, to create a kind of cross-generational exchange. And we really talk about that and the need to create spaces for different generations of queer people to meet and share their experiences and why there is a certain prejudice or discrimination towards older generations and how this project came to be. So I hope you enjoy. And without further ado, let's dive straight into the episode. Do you think, I mean, you've touched on this before, how it was just rampant sex in the early 70s. Do you think sex now for gay men specifically is kind of less adventurous in some way? I can't really say because I don't, you know, engage in the same same uh, realms. Um, I mean, I certainly have lots of young friends and I sometimes have significantly younger sex partners. So I hear stories a lot, but um, uh, I don't know. I think it's a mixed bag. I mean, I have one young friend who's 21 and he, you know, in telling me his stories of dating adventures, he sometimes tells me that even before they meet, they're discussing exclusivity and other people I know are you know uh, and I use this word in a very positive way very slutty in their sex yes. lives and so, so I think there's a big range yeah what why do you think there are less gay spaces today I mean we've we've noticed I mean in Amsterdam specifically there's half a lot of the gay bars have closed um, I read something about San Francisco the way the gay bars have definitely changed I don't necessarily know if they're less or not I'm just interested whether you've noticed this change um, and kind of if you have an opinion on, on it. Well, I mean, I think it's widely seen as being very connected to app culture. Right. And the fact that, um, but also the just in terms of community. I mean, I know, again, I have a lot of younger friends who some of whom I have very overtly mentoring yeah. relationships with. And I realize that they don't have the same context for having personal conversations about being gay that earlier generations did, either because of gay liberation or because of AIDS. Yeah. We talked a lot about sexuality and about relationships and about how much sex we were having. And, you know, and then during the epidemic, what do you consider to be safe and what do you consider to be unsafe, which was like a 20-year-long conversation because nobody ever felt completely comfortable mm. with those guidelines. But I do find that a lot of younger friends of mine, particularly in their early 20s, don't have a context for talking about what it means to be gay. 
and there's a kind of a they don't they don't have the language for it they don't have the experience doing it and so it's something that I'm trying to encourage some of my friends to sort of take the risk and start conversations like why are we all single or what what does dating feel like or do do we really enjoy the sex we're having and you know that takes it to a deeper level because we're still a very new identity I think we were touching on this super interesting just around the idea of chosen family. So when I think there's been, because it's much, much more mainstream now, the idea of being gay or queer in some way, queer, we're still getting there, but definitely like, you know, the identity of gay. Um, there's less of a need to like find your people in some way. I'm, and I'm talking from personal experience here. So when I was much younger, when I came out, I was much more saying like, oh, sexuality is just one side of me it's my personal sex life, but actually doesn't affect my personal friend's life. You know, I can have all my straight friends and this is just kind of one part of my identity. But the reality is the older I get, the more I seek out other queer people because I realize it's really important to talk about shared experience. And these are the only people who can understand you in some way. So the older I get, the more and more I'm interested in, in the community. But I wanted your opinion on before kind of app coach where one can just get you know, their needs fixed or whatever, but you actually don't need to participate in queer life in any way. Before, when apps didn't exist, there must have been a more, and like you said, you moved to San Francisco and saw your people. There was more of an idea of chosen family and more of an idea of a community, which I think we're losing. And, and I think that's part of the reason why well, I, I'm glad you said spaces. what you said, because I know a lot of older people tend to come up with this notion that the, the young generations are sort of post-gay and that yeah. they don't need community anymore. And yet, what you've just said, it, which is as you get older, you're realizing that those connections to other gay men are important for your own growth. Yeah. I do hear that more and more. So I'm a little wary of the idea that somehow that isn't needed anymore. I just think that it, the, there's a perception that it's not needed. And yet, in many ways, I think a lot of young people are kind of closeted. Uh, you know, their friends may know that they're gay, but they're not, they're, they have not really engaged with the differences yeah, I mean, um, it's more—it's just more than a sexual identity. Yes, is what I'm realizing. And you don't know what history is going to present to you either. And I think that uh, we were—we so benefited, particularly in San Francisco, from having a geographical neighborhood, right? And uh, you know, seeing each other on the streets all the times, and bar culture. You know, all the downsides of it, which of course were alcoholism and you know mm. the unhealthy aspects of it. But still, when AIDS hit particularly in San Francisco, we knew where we were. We knew how to find each other. We knew how to uh, organize. And, you know, obviously there's different means of communication now that we didn't have then that would enable things that were not possible then. But at some point, shit hits the fan, whether it has to do with gay stuff or whether it's going to have to do with climate change or God knows, you know. But there certainly are... It's not, you know, even in terms of the queer piece, it's not a unbroken path forward to you know, all of our problems are solved. I mean, as we can see just politically going on in the world, there's right. tremendous crackdowns happening, uh, even in the States. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you don't know to what degree you're going to be called to community by things that you can't anticipate now. That's so true. I, I mean, this is quite a nice segue into your Gay's Elder Project. I guess, I mean, firstly, what inspired you to do this project? And could you just give a quick... Kind of well, just a little uh, kind of roundup on it. I mean, it's it's different than anything I've done before in that uh, I started working on it without a specific end result in mind. Um, it's and 
it, it was never designed to be a single film. I really didn't have any interest in making yeah. a film anymore. The whole forum of documentary filmmaking was not particularly appealing to me. But I love interviewing people, and yeah. I'm driven by kind of my sense of both po politics and activism and interest in history. And I realized, just through my own interest in talking to some of the older gay men that I knew, uh, I had the sense that the guys who had realized they were gay in the decades before there was a movement uh, had a completely different experience than any of us who followed yeah. when there was already Stonewall and some claim to legitimacy and to to full rights in society. Most of these guys didn't even know that homosexuality existed. All they knew was that their boner was pointing in a different direction than it was supposed to. Right. And I focus specifically on gay men, but certainly women have you know parallel stories. Yeah. So I wanted to capture these stories because uh, I knew that most of my younger friends, as smart and lovely as they are, did not have yet the intuition or the curiosity or the background to be interested in talking to these older guys, you know, and uh, partially because of my age and my uh, long activism, I thought I could interview these men in a very deep way and with a lot of camaraderie because I'm closer to their age. Right. They're mostly 20 years or more older than me. Yeah. 15, 15 or more years older than me. Um, actually, 20. Um, and then these would serve as a kind of a repository of existing stories for people who were not around to ask them those questions or who didn't have those yeah. questions. Well, so that was sort of the idea was for okay. posterity. Okay. And then I did one of them. Uh, I got a grant, which was a kind of a very unusual grant that enabled me to just do the first one. And again, there was no pressure because this was not something that I was making specifically for television or to get into Sundance or right. anything like that. So I was doing it mostly for fun. They're more casual in terms of production values. Um, but after starting the first one, I realized it would be really wonderful to collaborate with younger gay men on the project. So basically, on, I've done six of them. Yeah. And all of my editors are young gay men. So the idea was, my editors are in their 20s and early 30s. The idea was to have it be a cross-generational collaboration uh, in which we would all benefit from the age differences between us um, and have an you know, an experience that, that went beyond simply the filmmaking experience, but that became a kind of a circular mentoring. Uh, and what do you think your young editors have taken away the most from? I mean, is it all different or is there one like, key takeaway? Well, on some level, I would love to have a conversation with them on camera for us to talk yeah. about it. It was something that I wanted idea. to do earlier on, like maybe to do a, a, you know, a recorded Skype conversation. Yeah. And I think a lot of time has passed. Now, I would still would like to do it. But I think for all of them, you know, there were various layers of it. I mean, partially, I think they were all fascinated that these guys had been so sexual, you know, yeah. and, you know, in many ways freer than they had been. Right. Um, and very sexually adventurous in a time when it was completely illegal and uh, dangerous. Um, but... I, you know, there was various aspects of it. There was the aspect of working with me and in a sense having an opportunity to be a prime editor on a on a project, you know, not an assistant, but a, a key, the, the the sole editor on a project with a you know somewhat known filmmaker. Um, so there was, and just being exposed to history and thinking about things. I mean, even in the editing process, questions would come up for them that hadn't occurred to them before because they just hadn't ex been exposed to this kind of history and the way we work together in terms of finding the, the, the stories to tell and finding the narrative 
for the finished work, I think, was very illuminating. And I benefited tremendously from working with these younger men because I benefited from, first of all, they were all very wonderful, you know, thoughtful, intelligent people. Yeah. And um, But just their perspectives on things also helped guide the editing. Okay. I think, um, do you think we need more spaces? What I think what your documentary or your films of this project has shown is that you're, you're creating a space in which there's a dialogue between kind of elder and, and younger gays. Do you think there needs to be more of these spaces and how do you think that should manifest? I don't know really. I mean, on some level, I think the creating of spaces can be artificial and, mm -hmm. um, and very, I mean, it's always very self-selecting anyway. I mean, there are people that want to be involved in these things and people that just don't. Yeah. But I think that the most organic aspect of it, I think, is when it comes from the from the participants themselves, when it comes from older people who uh, who can find uh, artful and useful and nurturing ways of sharing their stories in a way that's not about wagging your finger at someone or um, but that's actually about giving and sharing uh, history with the kind of a wisdom of a, an elder. Um, and with younger people who, whatever the source is, get triggered with curiosity to think, you know, I'm going to go talk to that older guy sitting over there because he may have an interesting story. Uh, so some of it just is organic and mysterious, and some of it probably can be uh, curated a bit also. And then again, hoping that there will be ripples out from the center. Okay. So how we grappled with the kind of societal pressure to conform to, to a traditional life path versus a newly imagined one? I mean, that's quite a massive question. Well, no. I but... mean, for me, the counterculture piece came long before the gay piece. Right, yeah. I mean, I knew already at like 11 years old that I right. did not want to follow a conventional path. And that was, again, one of the benefits of growing up on the West Coast in the 60s and having older sisters. I mean, I thought, mm. really, I, I want to be a hippie. You know, I want to live in a tree somewhere where I can be naked all the time and you know, <laughs> take psychedelics. I mean, that was my right. vision of my future, which was not the conventional one. Um. But I do completely agree that it's a great gift to be gay because we don't have to follow a conventional path. But what does that actually mean in practice? And I think that that's where the question of community comes in because these are things that don't necessarily happen in isolation. They come with the intersection sure. of various people's aspirations and visions of life. And I think in terms of, uh, from the vantage point that I'm at now, which is I'm just about to turn 65, um, I do have a lot of young people in my life and a lot of younger gay men. And I'm very conscious of trying to discreetly model uh, a possibility, not to, to have them aspire to be like me, but like, for instance, I will share things that I'm going through emotionally. It's not because I necessarily need their feedback or yeah. I need their advice, but by doing so, they're getting a window into the emotional realities of a 65 year old very right. self-aware gay man and most of them have never had any exposure to older gay men before so they have no idea what being older and gay looks like and there's a million different ways in which we can be older and gay but I think until I think for a lot of the young people in my life until they've met me they've never known an older gay man really and certainly not an older gay man who is as willing to be open with them as mm -hmm. I am yeah so um I know just from my experience that there there's a great benefit that they uh, express 
of having a window into something that they hadn't really given much thought to before, which is, you know, what is it, what is life like for someone who's 65 and gay? Now, I'm hardly a conventional 65-year-old gay man, but I mean, what does that mean anyway? Right, exactly. I think as well you have, what's inspiring to me with you is you ha- your work will live on. Do you know what I mean? You have a lot of gay men, I think, worry about their legacy or queer people in general. So, you know, can turn to the arts or some other way to kind of express themselves beyond just their their mortal shell. Um, so, yeah, it's an interesting concept, especially. But now it's obviously changed with um, adoption for gay people being more kind of accessible. But, you know, pre kind of the idea of having children, there was this... Um, idea of you know what will live on past me yeah it's quite beautiful i always think and your documentary as well well and interestingly i mean i sometimes wonder to what degree that's what motivates my kind of mentoring uh, instincts to what degree it's because i'm the age that i am and don't have kids uh you know is there some kind of a hormonal or um evolutionary imperative that i'm feeling yeah that uh to pass things on and to pass and you know and to be protective and to be you know a caregiver uh, also because I don't have, I didn't have that experience of being a parent. Yeah. Um, I guess I want to, we're nearly there. I just wanted to know first, well, firstly, what do you personally think of the younger gays? <laughs> what do you, what from working with these younger gay men, do you have any kind of, what do you think of the younger generation? There's definitely, um, a self-selection in the kinds of uh, cross-generational cross-generational relationships that I have. Um, yeah. Uh, the people that it's a certain type of younger person, whether they're gay or whether they're students or whatever, who's going to be interested in reaching out to me. It's a particular mindset, and I don't. Yeah. I can't really define it because it's probably different. But there's plenty that are not. And so those people are just not in my life in the same way. And so I appreciate when younger people are interested. Yeah. Because it's a kind of a, uh, you know. you're super open as well. You're very, um, from kind of the few interactions I've had with you prior to this, you're very open and willing to engage. Well, I'm in a sense, I'm out there hunting because this is my politics in a way. Yeah. This is, uh, it's it's a sort of a core part of my activism now is to try to, you know, bring the, the, benefits of my life experience to the younger people, you know, that will help your generation or other mm. generations in whatever way, you know, whatever eventualities your generations face. Um, so, um, I don't know, I don't, I can't critique a generation, but I mean, yeah. there certainly are a lot of, and I guess the people who, the younger gay men who I do have kind of mentoring relationships, some of them are very overtly mentoring and some of them I don't know that the other person would describe them as mentoring at all. But in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, you plant seeds. Yeah, okay. You know, do do some good work here. Bring bring up subjects that might not come up in their lives otherwise. So it's always there for me. Um, So, you know, I'm just doing what I'm driven by both my politics and passion and whatever hormonal stuff, you know, says this is what you're supposed to do in life. But there is a piece that we haven't talked about, which I think is very core to this. Yeah which is that there is a tremendous amount of um, uh, discomfort between generations of gay men. Yes. And this is because of uh, anxieties around sexuality. And Mm. this has always been there. I remember when I was, you know, 20. Anxieties around sexuality or anxieties around sex? Well, both. Okay. Uh, Yes, I would say around sex. Okay. 
um, I always sort of presumed that if you would go to a gay bar, because I wasn't old enough to go to gay bars yet, that there would be lots of, you know, creepy old men that yeah. would be trying to pick up the hot young men. And of course, I realized when I started going to gay bars that the bars sort of were self-segregating again by yeah. age and, and, you know, sorry to say this, but hotness. Well, you know, people yeah. wanted to go to places where they felt comfortable. And uh, so people, you know, you know, so it, people did find their, you know, their social communities where they felt at home in a way. Um, but I think that that sense, that fear among younger people that older guys are just going to be pervy old men that are going to hit on them. And the sense among older men that they're going to be perceived as pervy old men yeah. makes them hide away from younger people. And I think this is all terrible, but I think that the issues are very real. Um, and there's all kinds of nuances because there are younger men who are definitely attracted to older men. Right. And so the whole range of things. But the fact is that uh, sex and what does this person want from me and what do I want from them and what's actually going on here and why are they talking to me or why are they looking at me uh, from every direction is very complicated and it's not talked about much. And I think it's something that's super important for our community to try to look at in a conscious and intentional way and see how do we get beyond this because having those cross-generational relationships, whatever form they happen to take, is so beneficial to everybody. Well, yeah, I think it goes back to it's an age-old stereotype, the pederast in like Roman times was even a thing. You know, you have the older gay male uh, kind of in a kind of power dynamic with a younger gay man. So there is this kind of tradition of um, kind of an old gay man, whether it be sexual, mental, are kind of in literature and in history. It's just, I think now it does take on more of a kind of sexual aggression's not the wrong word, but yeah, there's this thing in society we kind of need to break down in some way. And whether that's through having more spaces, which aren't kind of bars or clubs where older, where different generations can, can meet. And this is kind of what I was touching on with the idea of creating spaces for that and through the work you're doing it's creating a, a kind of an equalizer in a way where everyone's coming to the table with questions and thoughts and it's not necessarily in a kind of sexual environment which would, would change yeah, things it's it's hard to figure that there's going to be a point at which these issues are not going to be present they're just right, there they're and that. i think and it's also level, just not a gay thing like in, in the no community. but it's different because different. Yeah, yeah. i think it's much worse with heterosexual men and young women because there is the inherent male female power differential For in sure. society Whereas with older gay men and younger gay men, we're both still men with the presumption of male, you know, uh, privilege that exists right. within our society. So there isn't that otherness. Um, but again, it's much more nuanced than I think, uh, you know, there's so many different win angles into this subject matter than the, the most obvious ones, which are, I mean, pederast is only, really only applies to people who are, you know, pre-adolescent in a way, which is not oh, the situation true. I'm talking about yeah, at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, What's been interesting to me as I've gotten older um, is how many, I mean, and I think this is really within the last 10 or 15 years, and increasingly so, how many young men are uh, drawn to older men, not just as mentors, but also erotically. This is something that I mm. never imagined when I was young. And it's a little mystifying to me because I was never drawn to older men. But, uh, you know, it, I'm confronted by it quite regularly with... Uh, gay men in their 20s who are sexually interested in older men. Yeah. And, um, you know, I try to be very 
careful about that. I generally don't yeah. take the initiative because I don't want to perpetuate the stereotypes. Right. But if someone else shows interest, I'm, I'm certainly not going <laughs> to object because there's so many aspects of that cross-general re- relationship yeah. that go way beyond the sexual connection and offer opportunities for a deeper connection that isn't necessarily about sex. Yeah. Um, and if sexuality happens to enter into that, uh, you know, I just, my feeling is to try to do it with, you know, co- complete integrity, really, really try to really be very conscious. Um, okay. There's a old Boy Scout rule about camping, which is leave, leave the campsite cleaner than you found it. <laughs> and I think that that can also employ to, uh, apply to our interpersonal reactions. It's like if you do, if you do get into that gray area uh, or just get into a sexual relationship that's cross-generational, make sure that it, you know, it's a, a good experience for the other person. Yeah. I just want to say thank you so much for coming on um, and taking the time out of your busy schedule to see me. Um, is there anything you want to plug or tell? Or how can people find you or contact you? Or Well, there's a website, davidweissmanfilms.com, which has all of the basics. I'm completely reachable through that, the contact info. There's also a website for the Coquettes, which is just coquettes.com, C-O-C-K-E-T-T-E-S. And there's also a website for my film, we Were Here, which is the film about the AIDS epidemic. And both of those films should be pretty easily available on iTunes and Amazon, yeah. pretty much anywhere in the world at this point. Um, and uh, The Gay Elders Project is still a little bit of a mystery as to how it's going to be yeah, uh, accessible and distributed. Yeah. But if people are interested, they, sh- they can just uh, message me through the websites or through Facebook, and I'd be happy to make links available to people who are interested in watching. And let me just say back to you, thank you for doing this. Thank you. Um, It's always nice to be uh, interviewed by a younger person. Uh, It's often a reversal of roles because I usually do the question asking. So it's nice to have a thoughtful and very interested and very curious younger person really focus the attention in my direction because, um, you know, again, it doesn't happen that often and it's a, it's a, lovely experience and I really appreciated this on my end as well. Thank you very much David. Thank you so much again to David for allowing me to interview him and thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it. You can follow the podcast Instagram at unmasked underscore pod that's unmasked with a C not a K and you can follow me Charlie at charrob that's char with double A. The podcast track is Justified by Payphone, and many thanks to them for allowing me to use it. You can find them on Instagram at Payphone London, that's Payphone with an F, and just Payphone on SoundCloud. The album artwork is by the amazing Nina Biddle, who you can find on Instagram at Nina underscore Biddle, that's B-I-D-D-L-E. The incredible makeup is by Madam Madness, who you can find on Instagram at madam.madness, and that's Madam with an E. Thank you so much. Yeah.